welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. We are so lucky today to have Lori Poole with us from the Montfort Group. We're going to talk about all things counseling and therapy. We need to have better mental health, I think. <laughs> welcome, Lori. Thank you, Melinda. It's so nice to be here with it's you. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Okay, so in olden times, I think people thought you only go to counseling or therapy if you're crazy. Right. Are we past that? Do people realize that we could all benefit? I think that there is still some of that thinking going on out there, especially in couples work. Uh, for example, couples will say, well, if we go to therapy, does that mean we really have a big problem? Can we be saved? Uh, only couples in big, big trouble go to therapy. And I just don't think that's true anymore. It could instead be seen like a checkup. Like it you could go to the be. doctor for a checkup, you should go to counseling to just keep everything in your relationship. Yeah, it's like a tune-up. Yeah, a tune-up. A, a tune-up, a check-in. Uh, geez, here's some areas where we could use a little skill set or add more tools to our box. And I think that's where therapy can be so helpful because often people wait until they're really in a pit. Till it's too late. Till it's too late, yeah. Most people have the same fight over and over, don't they? Oh, they do. <laughs> The content, you can have a knock-down, drag-em-out argument about pickle juice. And it's not about the juice. It's the same pattern every single time. And I will say, you know, so tell me what happens when you disagree. And couples, each partner can map out exactly what will happen, what they'll do, what their partner will do. And it's like a well-choreographed dance. Counseling could help them break the pattern. That's right. Exactly. I'm going to tell the audience, break the pattern. <laughs> There is hope. Go to counseling and break your patterns. So, um, you know, I do divorce. Mm -hmm. And often by the time people get to me, it's too late, right? Right. So, and one side, maybe the wife has been saying, hey, let's go to counseling. Mm -hmm. And the husband has been dismissive of that request and did not want to go. And then they get to me and they're like, what? She wants a divorce? Oh, I'll go to counseling now. But is there a point where you're kind of beyond the hope of return? The only time, and I can say this very honestly, the only time I've ever felt like a couple was beyond the point of no return is when one partner is so checked out, emotionally withdrawn, and just done. Then it can be very hard to work with trying to recalibrate the relationship because they're just, they've got a foot out the door. I think that women... And I'm going to paint with a broad brush. It's a slow burn over time. And it's exactly what you've described. Let's go to therapy. We could do better. And one partner's resistant. Sometimes it's the wives that are resistant. It's not always the men. Mm -hmm. um, and then one partner says, I want a divorce. And the other one goes, oh, my God, I had no idea that you felt that way. Why didn't you tell me? And the other person will say, but I've been telling you for a long, long time. So listen, listen for the signal. If they say the word counseling, wake up, go to counseling. I think besides the labeling of I'm, if I go to counseling, I'm crazy. I think the other hesitation might be, I don't want all my stuff to be revealed. I will be seen. <laughs> I will be exposed. <laughs> I will be exposed. The irony in that though, Melinda, is that's where I've seen some of the most powerful healing between two people is in those moments of vulnerability 
in the moments of exposure, when one partner says, I see you, I didn't know. And that is just an extraordinary experience to witness as a therapist, never mind as a partner who sees pieces of their spouse or significant other that they didn't see before in quite that way. So you do in your practice, couples counseling, do you also do individuals therapy? I do. I, in my divorce practice, I tell everybody, if you're going through a divorce, that's a huge major life change. You should be in individual counseling. Do you agree? I agree with you 500%. <laughs> Not only because it's what I do for a living, but I think that, you know, the thing that many people don't realize until they get into the divorce process is that there's such a range of emotions, aren't there? There's the grief, profound grief, a sense of failure, loss, anger, depression, anxiety, a huge amount of anxiety about the unknown. What will I be like without my partner as a single person? How are we going to organize children with visitation? I think especially couples with children. It's very, very stressful. And what a better way to, in your own space, in the safety of a good therapist, be able to talk through all of that and also be able to evaluate the relationship because a lot of people will say, how did I get here? I just don't get it. How did we land in this place? Mm -hmm. So I think therapy can help with that. I tell people um, anger, sadness, fear. Those mm -hmm. are the things that kind of get in the way of the deal in divorce. Yeah. And so it helps if they can go process that. They're, some of them are trying to process it with me, which is fine, but I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I don't have the education. Unfortunately, I have a lot of the experience. Yeah but I don't have the educational background and my hourly rate's really high. So they would be better off processing some of that anger, sadness, fear so that they can reach a point where they're in their business brain and they can make good decisions for themselves in the divorce financially and for their children. You know, uh, they say in the airplane, you know, put on the, <laughs> the oxygen the on your own face before you first. put it on the yeah. other person. How can we take care of our kids in the divorce if we're not taking care of ourselves? That's right. I agree with you 100%. I think that it's very, very important to take care of yourself and to really connect with all the emotions that go on during that divorce process because it's a very stressful, overwhelming life event for most people. Would you say top three? I would think so. Right? Like yeah. death, death, of, death divorce. of a spouse. Well, divorce is a kind of death. Yes. It's the death of the relationship as you knew it. Mm -hmm. It is trying to, particularly if you have children, create a different kind of relationship with the same person. Because if you have children, you're going to deal with each other for the rest of your lives. Oh, yeah. And your kids also are going to watch what, what happens between the two of you and use that as a signal or a reassurance that they're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. If the adults can figure it out, we're going to be okay. I was working on a settlement deal with one of my clients the other day, and I said something to the effect of, well, he is going to care about blah, blah, blah. I represent her. We're talking about him. And she said, why do we care about what he thinks or what he wants or what he's doing? I said, well, two things. One, we don't get a deal without him seeing, saying yes. And two, you're going to be co-parenting with him the rest of your life. <laughs> because just because the kids are grown doesn't mean we won't both... 
be helping our adult children, being around our adult children, our grandchildren. So we do actually care about what he thinks or feels or wants. <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. And if you have, if you can find a way to have a relationship with each other where you love your children more than you dislike each other, over time, it's not something that happens overnight, but time can make a difference if you both work at it mm -hmm. and identify what it is that you really need to be on the same page about so that you provide your children a structure and a predictability and so on that serves everybody. It serves the whole family unit because you're always going to be a family even if you're divorced. Right, right on. Now, yeah. we just came through the pandemic. We did. And that really, I saw in my practice, man, that amplified whatever people's problems were. <laughs> if they were drinkers, they drank more. If they were eaters, they ate more. Whatever they did, it was amplified. And so I think in my practice, I've seen some serious effects of that. Are you all seeing that? And are we past it yet? Or are we still seeing the repercussions? I, you know, Melinda, I would say that right now I'm not seeing as many clients specifically related to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But certainly when we were going through it, there were things that people learned, partners learned about each other because they were working side by side, trying to homeschool children at the same oh, time. Oh, just a it, nightmare. It, it was a nightmare. And so uh, I did see quite a few people related to that. The other thing that came out was work-life balance because now everyone's working remotely and they're on a screen all day long and they feel like they, they can't step away for a coffee or step away for a 15-minute break because someone might ping them on their laptop and they have to be there ready, camera ready for meetings and so on. And I think that created a lot of stress and people had a hard time. Isn't that interesting? Like working from home, some people worked more and not less because of what you're describing. That's right. The availability of working there wasn't a nice transition from I'm working at my office. Now I'm going to my home to not work. <laughs> it was just work, work, work. Yeah. There was no boundary anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that showed up in couples therapy where the balance of, well, geez, it's already seven o'clock. So when are we going to have some time mm -hmm. together? And couples weren't necessarily talking about the stress of feeling like they had to be on call 24 seven, or they may lose their job. There was a lot of fear and anxiety around that. So mm -hmm. I saw I saw a lot of that. I'm not seeing it as much now. It really escalated some cases for us. And it caused some people to get divorced sooner than I think they would have. You know, maybe one spouse was traveling Monday through Friday. And that covered a lot of problems because they just weren't in the same space. And right. now suddenly they're in the same space. And as you said, on top of it, the kids are there. So I... I saw some divorces happen that probably would have happened eventually, but they were happening sooner. Well, I think the pandemic probably identified cracks in the boat. Yes. Where the water was leaking. Yes. Whether it was, we're not talking about how we feel. We're not sending clear signals about what we need from our partner. You know, those kinds of things. Yes. We also have been through a, a very difficult time as far as politics and the, what's going on in the world. And I'm actually seeing people divorce because they have different political views. I mean, that's the presenting problem to us, which just seems insane to me. Like, who cares? Like, forget it. 
don't worry about it. And they just can't separate from that. Are you seeing that in your I've practice? Seen, I've, I've seen some of that, Melinda. But, you know, I also think it's about how people talk about stuff. Yes. You know, it's not just the content. It's the how we're talking to each other. So if you are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, how you're having the, the discourse about what you believe and what you what your viewpoints are can then culminate into a huge argument as opposed to, I understand your point of view. I have a different perspective, but I respect your position. That's, Gosh, that's, respect is a, goes a long way. Yeah. And lack of respect is a huge problem. You know, what are some ways that people can show, you know, kindness and love and respect no matter what the circumstance? Well, you know, I think that's a great question because if you've been in a long-term relationship, you can forget things like manners <laughs> <laughs> or to say, thank you. I really appreciate that you took the dog out when I couldn't, or I appreciate that you bought my favorite cookie or that you did something. Um, I think that partners really appreciate being acknowledged by one another. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can fly out the window. Mm -hmm. But when you treat your partner the way you would treat a friend, I think that can go a long way in maintaining respect and keeping, keeping the fires going a little bit, you know, and spending some time to connect, to actually say, how are you, Melinda? How are you right now? Like, what's going on today? Like that kind of genuine curiosity about your partner is mm -hmm. something else I would say that often. We think we know what our partner's thinking, feeling, and mm -hmm. so on, but that's not often the case. Yeah, to like pause and look at them. Yeah. <laughs> pause and look. Put your phone down. This, if I, I must say that at least three times a day, what do you do when you spend time together? I was at a restaurant last night and a couple across the table from each other never put, never lifted their head once. They were both on their phones. I'm not even sure if they were married, to be honest, but. That's very strange. But man, I thought, geez, isn't that sad? Is it an addiction? Like, can you literally have an addiction to the phone I th I or think the. I think it's a distraction. We mm. can't tolerate anymore being bored or having nothing to do, like just to sit with ourselves and to check in and say, hey, how am I doing today? What kind of a day am I, how am I feeling? Where do I feel that in my body? We don't do that. We reach for the phone. We reach for other things. We look for distraction. That's interesting. So whether somebody's going through a divorce mm -hmm. or they're just going through life, we should be consciously, intentionally taking care of ourselves. What are some tips you have for our listeners of how can they do that? What are some basic self-care? Well, I think there's biological needs, getting enough sleep, being well hydrated, moving your body. Speak to anyone who suffered with depression or just like a kind of down mood, withdrawn mood. When you get your body moving, it can help a lot. Exercise the answer to a lot of things. Oh boy, it? is it ever what it does for the brain, what it does for your spirit. Um, even if it's the last thing you want to do, just get out there and move your body, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes. And there's, you don't have to suddenly run a marathon. Oh my God, right? no. Like go take a walk. I mean, it's hot outside right now. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know too many people go walking to the mall. outside. Yeah. Go to the mall. I walk really early in the morning with my dogs, but take a walk. 
do something, you know, ride a stationary bike. That's not that difficult. I like dancing. And I think there's some exercises like Zumba or classes that are like dancing because then it's kind of like exercising on accident. That's right. It doesn't feel like work. It's just the move that, you know, the music moves you mm -hmm. and you want to move your body and actually blasting your, blasting your stereo at home and, and just dancing around your house can make a huge difference. If you find music you like, I, mm -hmm. I love doing that. So I think there's biological needs. I think having connection, not isolating yourself, mm -hmm. but having someone that you can talk to who, whose company you enjoy going for a coffee, going out for a glass of wine, that kind of thing. And, and therapy, of course, I think is always a great thing in terms of even, even if there isn't anything specific, it's just like, I want to get to know myself better. I have more women in their late thirties and, or sorry, late twenties, early thirties coming in to say, you know, I'm kind of evaluating where I am at my life and what do I want? And what about kids and relationships? There's, it's, it's. There is something that happens between the late 20s into 30s where there's an evaluation. Um, so I see a lot of couples coming in or individuals coming in for that kind of work too. What's nice about that, it's a person who has no agenda. Yeah. So if I talk to my mom or I talk to my sister or I talk to my friend, they all have their own agenda and they're not trained listeners. And a counselor doesn't have an agenda for you. So you can safely say anything you want to say and not worry about, oh, now my friend is going to think or my mom's going to try to control that or she wants me to get married, whatever. Yeah. So counselor is a nice place to do that. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and, and you know, the relationship between the client and the counselor is something that sort of evolves over time. But I have no attachment to the outcome. Right. So what are the goals? Let's talk about how you would like things to be different, but I'm not going to render judgment if you reconcile with your boyfriend right. or any of that. I mean, that's, that's, but family members will, right? you know, and then, and then sometimes there will be pushback when there is a breakup and a reconciliation mm -hmm. and so on. So yeah, I think when you come in to speak with a counselor, we don't have an agenda with you. Right. We, we want to help and be supportive. And I always say, I'll shine a flashlight in the darker places where maybe you haven't explored before. Right, right, right. And help them see that. There's something about getting the thoughts out of your brain. Like you'll have a whirling brain and there's something about talking to a counselor that helps you release that. Get it out of your own brain and then you can move forward. Or a therapist who will say, can we hit pause? You just said something really important and mm -hmm. I'm very curious. Like what comes up for you when you just said those words, you know, and you just kind of hit pause and they've got to take a moment and get out of their head because mm -hmm. I want the head and the heart to connect. I love that. One thing you talked about on the biological is sleep. Mm -hmm. I am 56. So I'm in, I've been, I'm in menopause. I'm in the late part of it, but it's harder to get the sleep during that time. And so I've really been focusing on how do I get my sleep? Because I think there's a lot of studies that show the importance of it for so many things. And what do you do? Do you have any tips for people on how to have a good um, habits to increase the likelihood of going, of getting good sleep? 
Absolutely. Well, things that come to immediate mind is, of course, take a look at your caffeine consumption during the day and when are you taking in caffeine? That's one thing. Uh, when are you doing your exercise? Are you including weight training? I think that's really important, particularly as you hit menopause. I mean, mm -hmm. for women, we need the density, the bone density, the muscle strength, and so on. So I would think weight training is really important. Not that I'm a trained professional on that in, in, in that area, but I subscribe to it. Mm -hmm. um, turn, getting, getting rid of the media before bed. Like you don't really need to have a television in your bedroom. You don't need to be scrolling your phone before you turn the lights out. I would say get rid of all of that if you can. And read a book, read a magazine, read a newspaper, and just um, get into sleep mode. Like establish a ritual, uh, a hot bubble bath. Put some Epsom salts in, put some relaxing music, maybe use a little aromatherapy, spray some lavender on your pillow. Like, just take care of yourself mm -hmm. and set the scene so that becomes part of your bedtime ritual. And I think over time it'll help. I was reaching, I mean, I'm telling all the horrible things about myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I get really busy at work sometimes and my mind is racing. Sure. And so I would go to sleep okay, but I'd wake up four hours later and I would get up and work in the middle of the night. Yeah. My husband's like, you have to stop doing that. Like you're training yourself to do that now. And then I would work for like an hour and then I would go back to sleep. And I thought, well, I'm getting it out of my brain. <laughs> Getting it out of your brain, but you've had interrupted sleep. Yes. Melinda, so that's the other piece of it. Um, and I think in that regard, there's also some really good apps, you know, um, and I can't think of them right off the top. I think Calm is one. There, There's quite a, a number of apps. So if you do tend to wake up in the middle of the night, close your eyes, maybe listen to a guided meditation. You can do that before you go to sleep. It doesn't have to be oh, you know, my, I've mm -hmm. got the hamster on the wheel going, mm -hmm. but rather breathing, you know, you can breathe in slowly to the count of seven, hold your breath, and then exhale to the count of eight. Breathing is so important. So I do some of that too. And then check out to see if you've got, if you're snoring or you've got sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. I found out I have sleep apnea. I do too. I use the machine and I, yes, I, I would now I would freak out if I couldn't. Yeah, that CPAP. Listen, yes. my, my husband calls it my scuba gear. <laughs> but it's made a huge difference. Yes. My blood pressure has reduced. I have more energy. I just feel more rested. So that's something else to consider. Yes. When I have somebody first come in for a divorce and they're not the one wanting it and they're in a very distraught state. You know, I definitely tell them, go to counseling, but I'm telling them, you've got to get the basics under control before we can do anything else. You have to be eating, sleeping, breathing. You've got to take care of yourself first. Yeah. So that's kind of emergency 101. We can't start making decisions about anything else if we can't take care of those basic needs. And I think, you know, it's interesting you brought up the, you mentioned food. More and more, I'm seeing lots of information online about food as medicine. Yes. And when you're suffering from a lot of anxiety and eating high levels of processed food and sugar and so on, you are just going to ramp yourself up. There's lots of good resources online about what you can do to reduce anxiety and just to feel better and to stay in your skin. Um, and I think food is one of those resources. Well, and what the horrible news is, is 
at least for myself, I tend to do the opposite. Instead of eating healthier when I'm stressed, I'm like, oh, I'm stressed. I oh, need yeah. a hamburger, you know? Yep, absolutely. So we sure. eat what we think of as comfort food, and it's really not good for us. When we should instead say, ooh, I'm stressed, I should be eating as clean as possible, as healthy as possible. Are you familiar with um, Mark Hyman? You took you took his name <laughs> right out of my brain, Melissa. You just plucked it right out of my head. Food, What the Heck Should I Eat by yep. Mark Hyman. I love his material. It's just all about eating as clean as possible or organic as possible and healthy. And he talks, when you said food is medicine, he talks about that a lot. So I think, I and think he's got a great, good. and his podcasts are really good. He has lots of guests and you can just go right down the list and see what, you know, what's of interest in terms of like how food can affect anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. on. Well, and it's, a, it's in one of the addiction, for me, sugar is definitely my addiction. So I need to practice more what he says. Oh, but. I'm with you. Cheez-Its <laughs> is like my crack cocaine. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, so that's something I, I need to work on, but I do recognize it. And I think when we do eat healthy, we do feel better. You do feel better. And I think that the, the, the eating, whether it's the carbs and so on, is we're looking for relief. You want relief yes. from the way you feel. Yes. So when you can start verbalizing, what is it that I'm feeling and find other ways to channel those emotions with time and practice, it's a practice. Yeah. And we don't know how to do it naturally. Like we wouldn't have those fights we're talking about with our spouse over and over, over years of our marriage, if we knew how to stop it. Right. That's right. And I think, um, it could be such a relief to people to go learn how to maybe very easily break that on, you know, repetitive cycle but they just need a little coaching. They need some coaching. And I think it's also as much about understanding themselves as it is their partner. Because if you don't know what's happening within, how do you share that with your, with your spouse or your mm -hmm. partner? Sometimes we think the other person's supposed to mind read. That's right. <laughs> I love it when the people say, he should know or she should know that I want blah, blah, That's blah. That's right. Why should I have to tell them? Because you do. <laughs> I say do. because they're stupid heads and they don't know. So if you really want them to know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true. You have to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. And I think when we look at, you know, that, that pattern, that, that predictable, predictable cycle in couples therapy, and I will ask sometimes, what was going on for you in that moment when you reacted that way? Oh, I was thinking about something that happened a couple of years ago. Like, you know, you can't take the elevator that deep on your own. Mm -hmm. At least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. A therapist can really help couples understand more of what happens. What do I tell myself when we get into this cycle? Yeah. I'm thinking this, I'm telling myself that, and then I do this. Mm -hmm. You know, and just breaking it down that way, it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And then we look at, well, how do you acknowledge what you've just heard before starting to talk about yourself? Yeah, because we're all, unfortunately not as great of listeners as we could be. And we're thinking about what we're going to say totally, and interrupting each other yes. to say it. Yes. Because we are wired for self-defense. So as our partner is speaking, we're having an emotional experience. We're figuring out how we're going to respond to what we heard that we disagreed with or where we feel misunderstood. And so you stop being present. You're not yes. listening. Yes. So we, there's a practice that can be taught in counseling to mirror and say, I heard you say, blah, blah, blah. 
So that's helpful to even see if you did hear them right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the partner says, well, actually, that's not exactly what I said. <laughs> right. You know, and then I'll say, well, can you help them understand? Let's keep talking. Let's be curious. Let's keep talking. Assumptions can be the death of a it's conversation. The it's the truth. <laughs> and, you know, now we see so many people communicating by text message. So then you've lost the body language. You've lost the tone. All you have is this text, and boy, can people jump to the wrong conclusions on that. Melinda, I hate texting. <laughs> I, I I hate when, because couples will come in and say, but we had such a good conversation. Oh, tell me more about the conversation. It was all by text. Isn't that crazy? Well, people sometimes people feel safer because they're not face-to-face -face in somebody else's energy when they're having the conversation, so they feel safer to say things. But... You're absolutely correct. You cannot interpret facial expression, tone, body language, anything. It's just what you're reading on the screen, and you have to imagine. Mm -hmm. And if you're not in a good place, you're going to imagine things that aren't necessarily true. Right. Besides going to counseling, what's a good resource for people? Something they could read or listen to to help them with general wellness? Oh, gosh, there are so many great resources. I think, you know, we talked earlier before we were recording about Brene Brown, mm -hmm. uh, our Texas expert on things like vulnerability and um, guilt. And, oh, she's she's just got a wonderful... Mm -hmm. um, she's so great. ...wonderful basket of resources. I refer people often to work by uh, Sue Johnson, who developed emotionally focused therapy for individuals, families, and couples. She's, she's terrific. There are a number of good podcasts that are easy. You know, people can listen to them on the way to work and so on. Um, some of them escape me right off the top of my head, but there's a lot of good material out there. And a lot of it with couples is communication. It comes all the way back down to <laughs> how. It's the how you communicate. Mm -hmm. And and if you can understand that, uh, one of the things I help couples work through is acknowledge, respond, engage. So the first thing I'm going to do is acknowledge what you've said and how I imagine you might feel. And if you can start there, you can, you can divert a lot of blow-ups. It takes practice. It's like learning a new dance. Mm -hmm. You know, you're focused on the steps. But uh, with practice, it just becomes the way you communicate with each other, and I think it can be very helpful. That's excellent. So where are you physically located in the Metroplex? We are up in Plano on Village Creek Drive, right off the tollway, right off Plano Parkway in the tollway. And the, the group is called the Montfort Group. That's correct, yeah. We'll put on the screen your contact information okay. so people can find you. Okay, terrific. Thank you so much for being with us oh, today, Laurie. It was excellent. Thank you, Melinda. I enjoyed every minute of it. I'm so glad. <laughs> Thank you. Now for our tip of the day. Think about how to take care of yourself. So we all need to take care of ourselves individually before we can take care of our kids or our husband or our clients or our job. If we're not taking care of ourselves, if we let ourselves go in the ditch, then how can we help any of those people? And think of the basics. Breathe. I know that sounds silly, but I find myself holding my breath. And if I'm not breathing, then I'm going to have a problem. So sometimes, especially if you're in a stressful situation, just pause, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, and you'll find that 
That helps a lot of things. Plus, pausing helps us. Sometimes we say things quickly that we regret. <laughs> so having a pause in there doesn't hurt anything. Get yourself some sleep. Go to the doctor if you need to. You know, we're busy and it's easy to forget our own care. So have a regular doctor appointment where you get everything checked out and get some basic healthy food, basic exercise, and doing all of those things will help us to be present for all the important things in our lives. And that is the tip for today. All right, perfect. We are clear. Thank you. Oh, Belinda, they thank did you. it. Thank you, thank you. That was so much fun. You were fabulous.